Hi, my name is Scott Kerland, and my best friend Lils Martin hates musicals. I'm Lils Martin, and my friend and acquaintance Scott Kerland loves musicals. Wait, what? I don't like, I don't like begrudging for it or anything. Wait, I don't know. I said you were my best friend, and you just called me a friend and acquaintance? Yeah. I was working really, really hard on creating this podcast for you where I show you great movie musicals and bad movie musicals because I love you, but you want to be a dick. We were supposed to court this promo for Hell is a Musical, and what are we doing right now? Sounds like we're recording the promo right now. Hell is a Musical on the Zero Science Network. Be there. I love this movie. Scott. No, no, I can wait. Scott. This is the best part. But, Scott, I have a really important question. But they're getting mail. But, Scott. What? Is Tom Hanks the bad guy? Uh, um, no. That's the voice of certainty. Maybe. You've got mail. It's in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. Oh, shit, he is. What will NY152 say today, I wonder? I turn on my computer. I wait impatiently as it connects. I go online, and my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. I hear nothing, not even a sound on the streets of New York, just the beat of my own heart. I have mail. From you. Tear me apart, Lisa! Snap out of it! You owe me 15 grand, pal. I love you! That's all I needed to hear. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Curlin. Hi. And my wife, Haley, is... Hi. She is She is filling in. Yes. So our original guest had to cancel last minute, but someone stepped up to the plate. It is February, so we know what that means. It is, what is love? Oh, I thought... I thought it meant Haley podcasts with a lozenge in her mouth because her throat's really dry. Ricola. Ricola. Please, please be a sponsor. Uh, so we are doing what movie? Uh, we're doing You've Got Mail. The 1998 classic, which is a remake of one of my favorite Christmas movies, The, and, Sh- the Shop Around the Corner. And going back to earlier, this is part of What is Love? And next month is Baby, don't hurt me. In April is... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what if I just called April no more? <laughs> uh, so, yes. We you- quit the podcast! <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what that means. No more. <laughs> You've Got Mail is one of my... Surprise, you heard it here first. <laughs> You've Got Mail is one of my chicken soup movies. This is a movie that I like to watch when I'm sick. or With when- COVID. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. Uh, yeah, that fruit is low-hanging. I am bleeding. Oh, well. I will work through it. That was a interesting footnote in this podcast. I, 
So this is You've Got Mail. If you don't know anything about this movie, why don't you give us the blockbuster rule? I think you need to clarify the bleeding. Like, where are you bleeding from? Cut on your leg. Okay. Yeah, for some reason, it just started bleeding. Oh. I have no idea. I think you it ha- bleed for this podcast. Scott. I do. I think it happened when I went out to walk McCoy. Blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, I think it happened when I went to walk McCoy. Okay. Um, sure. <laughs> but what is that? The police outside? What is Sting and Stuart Copeland doing outside? The police. What is the blockbuster rule for this movie, please? <laughs> so Meg Ryan plays. A woman named Kathleen Kelly, I believe. You remember? Oh my God, did I get it right? You remember. <gasps> so Kathleen Kelly owns a small bookstore on like the Upper West Side. Yes, of- 78th and Amsterdam. Yeah. Oh, f- fancy. Okay, I didn't know we were getting into geography here. No, they just mentioned it so many times. Um, So yeah, she owns a small, slightly successful bookstore, I think it's fair to say, until da-da-da-da. The big franchise store moves into town, literally right around the corner from her. Yes, and her bookstore is called The Shop Around the Corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. But And that big bookstore is owned by none other than Tom Hanks. And uh, amidst the feud um, that is inspired by their competing businesses, the two unknowingly are emailing each other in the world of dial-up yes remember that kids remember no you don't you don't remember i do (laughs) but we're gonna play you that noise um it'll shake you to your core you've got mail this film is what got me my first email address on aol Oh my god, what was it? It was just my initials at AOL.com. Creative. Short, sweet. I like it. <laughs> um, but I remember when this... Didn't AOL have like an away message? That was Instant Messenger. That was until the early oh, 2000s. I skipped ahead. Yeah. Well, in this, there is AOL Instant Messenger, but I believe it was for only the rich people. It wasn't free to us plebs until the early 2000s. <laughs> You had to pay extra for that, right? I believe you did. Oh. Yeah. It you didn't get it for free in a box of cereal. Yeah. AOL used to come for free in a box See, of raisin bread. I didn't brand. have AOL, so I wouldn't know. So this movie I never got to leave like a fancy away message or like create a username. None of that. <laughs> you weren't Farts McGee twenty nine? No. <laughs> I I so I remember when this movie came out out they replaced the guy who did the you've got mail with tom hanks or meg ryan you could pick if you wanted to seriously yeah so he would have you've got mail or you have mail (laughs) (laughs) it was weird Mm. so this film was directed and written by nora efron yeah who brought us classics such as sleepless in seattle when harry met sally bewitched Um, yeah really (laughs) yep she she had some stinkers too. She did Bewitched, Mixed Nuts, Lucky Numbers. What was that other Mixed Nuts? Yeah. Oh, okay. You said that a little fast. I was like, what did you say? Mixed nuts. Mixed nuts. <laughs> mixed nuts. 
Yeah, I haven't heard of those. Uh, didn't she also do uh, As Good As It Gets? No, that was no. James L. Brooks. Okay, never mind. Were you thinking of Something's Gotta Give? Yes. That was Nancy Myers. Fuck. <laughs> Everyone would get them confused. Sorry. I... <laughs> no, she did Julie and Julia. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was her last movie before she died. Yeah, but she's known for making like very charming, very sweet, but like funny movies. Yes. And this one is a very... Do all her movies take place in New York? No, Bewitched takes place in California. Oh, is that why it sucked? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Bewitched takes place in California, but I think the rest... No, Lucky Numbers takes place in like Minnesota. It takes place in the Midwest. But, oh. But the so ones all that... her bad ones don't take place exactly, in Exactly, actually. Oh. Because I think Mixed Nuts also takes place in California, too. Well, see, there we go. You heard it here first. <laughs> but the ones that do well take place are... It's like New York is a character in the movie. Shut up. <laughs> no, did you just come up with that on your own? <laughs> I got it off a fortune cookie. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what if that was a fortune cookie? <laughs> it's like New York is a character in the movie. Wait, what? And your lucky numbers are. So this film, I remember seeing this in theaters, and we had to wait three weeks to see it, because every time we would go to the movie theater to see it, it would be sold out. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so I remember the movies that we saw in place. We saw A Bug's Life. Uh-huh. We saw... Wait, this came out during the time of A Bug's Life? Yeah. Oh. Uh, we saw... Uh, no, as good as it gets was the year before. We saw Mouse Hunt. Oh, I love Mouse Hunt. You're the only one. Hey! <laughs> I almost feel bad for her. Almost! almost. Um, and then there was another one, like a very... Oh, Patch Adams. Dark. Yeah. So this was the only romantic comedy is what you're telling me at the time. Wait, was it Patrick? No, it was Ever After. We saw Ever After. (gasps) I love that movie. (laughs) Um, But I wouldn't consider that a romantic comedy, though. No, I'm saying I thought it was Patch Adams we saw. We Uh, we saw Ever After. But regardless, this was the only romantic comedy exactly okay so i just looked it up there was another rom-com that came out that you probably have never heard of probably um stepmom no i'm just kidding um it was it's called home fries with uh drew barrymore ah it's a rom-com but it's like a dark rom-com so this was the only rom-com that yeah um that's what you're telling me that's what i'm hearing yes so this film was so popular that you had to basically get to the movie theater for the previous showing. So if the movie was at two, you had what to... What I'm hearing is the movie was insanely popular. I couldn't believe it because it, it, if you we watched the movie, this does not seem like... This was the same year as Saving Private Ryan. And like, both of them, both Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks had well-established careers by this time. They were America's sweethearts. Yeah, they the were literally like the dream team forced together into a movie. Yeah, and he almost wasn't able to do this because of Saving Private Ryan. Oh, just it ran too long? Like shooting? Yeah, they were afraid that it was going to overlap. 
and Meg Ryan's husband at the time, Dennis Quaid, was going to play the role, which leads me to my first point. Uh-huh. I don't think anyone except for Tom Hanks could have played that character of Joe Fox. Yeah, I do agree, especially because as we've kind of hinted at, He's the antagonist of this film. Kind of, yeah. Well, I mean, he's set up to be the antagonist regardless because of how he's competing with her bookstore. I would argue that there is no true antagonist of the film, but if if we're going to have to assign it, it's definitely Tom Hanks' character. Well, yeah, because they make you think that it's like Parker Posey or Greg Kinnear because they're not right for yeah. the, the others. But it's kind of Tom Hanks because he finds out first. He fucking jerks her around. Yeah. He plays with her like a cat plays with a dead mouse. Yeah, we'll probably be talking about Shop Around the Corner in with this because in Shop Around the Corner, he doesn't, J- Jimmy Stewart doesn't dick her around. Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> that Jimmy Stewart? Why do you sound like B. Arthur? I don't know. I'm trying to do an impression of Jimmy Stewart, and I'm falling on my face. Oh, oh highly. Sweetheart, please don't. Yeah, there you go. That's better. <laughs> but, like, in that movie, he only, like, jerks her around um, once, and that's at the end when he reveals it's him. Yeah. He, he basically is like, I, I met him. You know, he's kind of fat, he's kind of chunky, and then he basically pulls out the rose and she knows it's him. Mm. Like, that's it. Not like, not like basically finding out he is the the guy she's been Yeah, Tom Hanks figures out, like, really, I wouldn't say early in the movie, that he's been writing to Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan all this time. Okay, so this... But this definitely mo- earlier than what happens in Shop Around the Corner. Shop Around the Corner, it's exactly 45 minutes into a 90-minute movie. It's, like, right at the halfway point. In this one, this movie's, like, two hours long. He finds out 30 minutes into the movie. Is it only 30 minutes? I think. He finds out really fast. Okay. It's, it's way above the halfway point. So, um, should we kind of get into the plot a little bit more? Yeah, but first, I have a very important question to ask you. Okay. Like, New York in rom-coms is like, it's it's famous that in rom-coms in particular, New York is presented in a very positive, clean, like, almost like Parisian-esque light. Like, it's it's very nice. Like, you've got all these little shops and stuff like that. And Go on. <laughs> Would you say that what how this movie portrays New York in this film is accurate to the time? To 98? Or do they put a candy-coated gloss on it? So, ironically, I was in New York in 1998 <laughs> with my family. We okay. Went, we went on vacation. Or, yeah. No, it was 97. Like, I'm sure you weren't traipsing through the Upper West Side. We were. We were staying. Oh, well, la di da we stayed near Zabar's where they go to in this movie. So, yeah, I kind of was like that. It it Did you um want to adjust your cravat a little bit? It's a bow tie <laughs> and you know that. Your cufflinks, monsieur? But yeah, it, like parts of it were, but there were still parts where like you wouldn't be in Times Square after midnight. <laughs> like No, no, I know, but like I just like you know how, like, they show New York in, like, When Harry Met Sally. and Upper like, West Side. Yeah. But even so, 
like New York is like clean. Like, you know how. Um, in- oh, if that's your question. Is that your question? No, no. It's disgusting. Like, do you know in like the film with Rebel Wilson where like. Is, isn't it romantic? Yeah. And they're like, oh, how did everything suddenly like. You know, they make a joke of the fact that New York is portrayed in a far better light than it would normally be. Yeah, but that's because she lives, like, in the Lower East Side and, like, Brooklyn. And Yeah, I suppose. Okay, so it's just location, location, location. Location, location, location. But, like, there are parts that are really, really nice. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, in the 90s at this point. In Upper West Side, Riverside Park, that area. Gorgeous. Okay. Can you tell that I'm a New Yorkophile? <laughs> no, I couldn't. But yeah, so the the one thing that is like crazy is their handles on on AOL and Shop Girl. What was it? Shop Girl 101 or something? No, like? I think it was just Shop Girl. I thought there was a one. Nope. In it. Maybe I don't know. She can't be the first Shop Girl. <laughs> could she could? And then he is and it was in the very early days of AOL. She might have. Uh, Taking that spot for herself. NY152. 152. 152. I thought it, I could swear it was 153. It's, Haley. What's that math dyslexia thing I, called? Math dyslexia. No, no, there's an actual like name for it. And you also confuse like right and left. I don't know. Either way, I'm pretty sh- damn sure I have it. <laughs> but it, I know f- that it's NY152 because 150. 152 people who think he looks like Clark Gable. 152 people who think he looks like a Clark Bar. Yeah, yeah. I got that joke. Yeah. Um, I know this movie inside and out. I thought it was like an area code thing. Uh, It's his address. He lives at 152 uh, West. Okay. Upper West Side. Yeah, you should never put your address on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Very early internet times. And I'm pretty sure that building is Tom Hanks's real life building. Ooh. Or like near it. Like he lives in New York in a very nice mm. penthouse style. I mean, he's Tom Hanks. So the problem with this movie, as much as I love it, it doesn't age well. No, it it really, no. <laughs> well, do, do you want to get into the thing that you kept asking me? Yeah, sure. Are they cheating? Yeah, so, like, it, it literally, like, they get right into it. Like, Meg Ryan sends an email right after her um, boyfriend. Yeah. Bo. Boyfriend. Significant other. I don't know. Yeah. They don't really establish her relationship with him. It's just. We get they the get feeling that together. they're, yeah, they get sushi, sushi together. He occasionally spends the night, you know, boyfriend, booty call, what have you. Gentleman lover. Gentleman, gentleman caller. Um, but so like, and as soon as he leaves, she's like looking out like her window, you know, checking to make sure he's not going to come back. And then she just sits down and write this email and of course, they're playing the card like, oh, is she cheating? And it's like, no, she's sending an email. But it's like, at the same time. Well, it makes sense for her to do it because he is such an anti-computer person. Like, he hates computers so much. 
it doesn't make sense for Tom Hanks to do it. Tom Hanks does the same thing. Either way, you get the sense that they both feel like they're doing something wrong right off the bat. In a family picture. And so it it puts the question into your mind. Do you consider when you are in a relationship, if you are reaching out to another individual over email, do you consider and developing a relationship therein, do you consider that cheating? Jesus. Um, by today's standards, like if this wasn't 1998. I think. No, but back then. Yeah, because text messaging, we write everyone. Yes, giant but diatribes. the way I see it, like the way they make it seem like they both instinctively feel like they're doing something wrong. Like they're, it's part of a whole conversation early on in the film. That's why in the original, and they're both, they're both seeking, single. And they both know that. They're writing, well, I mean, there's no way to tell for sure, but they both believe that they are talking to a person of the opposite sex. They both believe that they're in the early stages. I get the feeling that they feel like they're in the early stages of a relationship. Though they've set ground rules for themselves, like they don't talk about work, they don't talk about, like, they don't give names or addresses or anything like that, so... Yes, it is basically. Do they not give addresses? NY152. <laughs> so they basically, it's basically like a glorified pen pal. Or at least it starts out that way. <laughs> what if there was like a Shyamalan twist where you think that they're writing to each other and then like you find out that they're both getting catfished and the movie just ends with them in a bathtub filled with ice and they're both missing a kidney and then they just look at each other because they're of course in the same saw like room and they look at each other and just say you've got mail and then die in credits you've thought a lot about this haven't you no that literally just came to me sure it did <laughs> don't you Didn't remember you have a nightmare about this movie like a couple days ago did i maybe I now, feel like you woke up in the middle of the night and was just like, mail, mail, <laughs> mail. Like the nightmare would be that like I wasn't in the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so honestly, do you think that what they're doing is cheating? Like say you were in a relationship with Meg Ryan. <laughs> would you cons like you if, were in the role of. If I was Greg Kinnear. Yes. If you were Greg Kinnear and you found out that she was writing a pen pal. Or no, because he's literally having an affair. <laughs> he does. Remember? He starts going on lunch dates with the, the host of. I guess. So I guess their relationship is casual. So if we're going from Greg Like I don't Kinnear's know the. Yeah, I don't know the parameters of their relationship to start. Like, they make it seem like they're closer than they are. Yeah, because... <sighs> so I suppose in that sense, it's well, okay. We'll get into that later, because there, there's a little backstory of, like, as the movie goes on, there's one scene in particular that Greg Kinnear ended up, like, writing oh. with Nora Ephron. Okay. Yeah, fuck it. We'll talk about it now. Yeah. The breakup scene. Originally... Nora Ephron was afraid to approach Greg Kinnear because this was a 
like around the time of As Good As It Gets, it would be filming when As Good As It Gets was filming. Yeah. And he's he was being nominated for Oscars and Golden Globes. Really? She, yeah, and she thought He wasn't just acting. <laughs> what? I'm I'm I didn't I don't know anything about Greg Kinnear. I've only seen him in movies. I don't know about anything in terms of like behind the scenes. Well, he was because of the movie as good as it gets. He was just becoming like so famous. Oh, so he she wrote that. No, he was in it. He starred in it. Oh, with Jack Nicholson. But I thought you. OK, never mind. <laughs> no, I said he was in. Uh, I didn't know if he was like writing on the side or something. Oh, no, no. Like his idea of writing is is finding someone who can write and be like, hey, write this down. Make it better than what I say. <laughs> that that's his idea of writing. So he read the script. Um, she's like, "No, what? Screw it. I'll ask him if he'll play the part of Frank. And he's like, absolutely. You're Nora Ephron. My only suggestion, and like this is what I'm dead set on. Apparently the scene where they break up just ends with her when he goes, I forgive you. She just stood up and walk, walked away, and that was the end of that. He said, why don't we write a scene where they break up and they're both very comfortable? I would like it to be like a, yeah, a very mature, like things are ending, but we're okay because we're in very different places. And you know, yeah. He's like that. That seems more like I never see that in a rom-com. I want to see that. And she's like, that's a good idea. Right. So she like stayed in his trailer with her laptop and was writing with him on the set of uh, as good as it gets. Oh, nice. Yeah, or whatever they call a press junket trailer, whatever. Yeah. Um. So like, that's how they got Greg. I will give this movie credit where credit is due because like they don't over dramatize like a lot of things, like the breakup scene, you know. And well, when her breakup scene, they over dramatize Tom Hanks's. I don't even remember Tom Hanks's breakup. Where are my Tic Tacs? Oh yeah, but we don't. That it takes place still off screen. Yeah, but she's just so dramatic in that scene. I, yeah. I do love Parker Posey in this movie. Mm. Like, I just love her. Was this her first role off of Second City? No. No. She was in all of the um, Christopher Guest movies at this point. Like, she was in Waiting for Guffman. Oh. She was in a bunch of indie films. Okay. Yeah. But I just love when he's like... I I feel like I... Am used as a vehicle for which to share your immense knowledge because I am taking the place of, you know. You're like a character in the movie. <laughs> You're like New York. Get out. Okay. Um, Get out. <laughs> which is also a movie. But she has such a, so many great one-liners. Like when Greg Kinnear is like, how do you sleep at night? And she's like, "I this amazing pill. You only take half of it. <laughs> like, yeah. Tell me something, really. How do you sleep at night? Ah, I use a wonderful over-the-counter drug, Ultradorm. Don't take the whole thing, just half, and you will wake up without even the tiniest hangover. You're Frank Navasky, aren't you? Yes. Leave Your me. last piece in The Observer about Anthony Paul was, was brilliant. Really? Brilliant, yes. I'm Patricia Eden. Hi. Hi. Eden Bugs. It's just that improv, like, there are certain things that were improvised in this movie, like the um, the scene when they, he takes his his aunt and his brother, we'll get into that, when he takes his aunt and his brother. Tom Hanks, this is Tom Hanks' yeah, character. Tom Hanks takes his aunt and his brother to the bookstore when they're walking out and the balloon gets caught in the door, 
that was by accident. And he just looks at them and says, good thing it wasn't the fish. That was an ad lib. And she kept it in the movie. Of course, because it's brilliant. <laughs> good thing it wasn't the fish. <laughs> also him riding in the. Yeah, we need to talk about that scene in depth because it does establish them as characters. Yeah, not just that. It their also, personalities, their quirks, like everything about them. It also them. shows how rich Tom Hanks' family is. Yeah, well, I mean, he has, like, he owns the Barnes Noble that of, you know, this world. Fox Books. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was wrong when I was talking to you about it. I said that that, that location was a Barnes Noble it was a Borders books, not a Barnes and Noble. How dare you? I know. I feel so betrayed. It's now a Barnes and Noble because- How could you do this to me, Scott? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I fully, I, you know, envisioned a Barnes and Noble. And here you are telling me it was a Borders books? <laughs> the, the, the funny thing Fuck is- Fuck you! The, the strange thing was that in Barnes and Noble, they have Starbucks. In Borders Books, they have Seattle's Best Coffee. That's how you knew which one was going to survive and which one wasn't. Yeah. So, um... Whatever happened to Seattle's Best Coffee? And whatever happened to Borders Books? The Milkman, the Paperboy, the Evening TV. <laughs> Everywhere you look. So, um... Also, with their... the that scene um with oh my god i i just had a brain fart <laughs> like my brain literally the scene where he goes into the little shop around the corner for yeah. the first time yeah like he the look on his face when he's going in there he's like no one better see me <laughs> like well if i owned a big book franchise and then i went into another bookstore you bet your butt i would be hiding my face yeah also i love the little subtleties when they're like cash credit card check and he goes cash i totally as a kid i didn't understand that and then when i got my first credit card i'm like oh i get it (laughs) no he just has money yeah yeah i get it because your name's on a check and your name's on a credit card so they would figure out fox are you satisfied with that over explanation (laughs) yes i am (laughs) but i i love the 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 bookstore scene because she's reading you get to see how adorable meg ryan was yeah um she's got her little princess hat and she's reading roll doll which she picks of the of all the roll doll i know right boys. bottom of the barrel um she could have picked the twits that would have been pretty bottom of the barrel. or mr fantastic fox or matilda matilda would have been appropriate well i'm, I'm saying that the twits is like also at the bottom of the barrel too she should have picked you have Matilda. Strange qualms. <laughs> she should have picked Matilda. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So, but she, yeah, she's reading to the kids. She's in this very charming atmosphere. It literally looks like an like a like a bookstore you'd find like in the English countryside. You know, it's got beautiful like dark wood shelves and photos of like characters from books and twinkle lights everywhere. It's very sweet, very charming. Like, it looks like, you know, the mice that live in the bookstore are going to come out and sing at any moment. Like, it's very cute. Well, okay, they had to reshoot that scene because in the movie, we have Birdie, who is my favorite character in this entire movie. 
the old accountant who works at the little shop around the corner. But there was an entire character that they cut out of the movie, played by Michael Palin from Monty Python. (gasps) Singing Mouse? No. I'm just kidding. No, he played uh, a former children's author uh, who basically lived at the store. He he was just always there. They kind of did that character, though, with the woman who comes in and she's like, oh, are you going to like lose your business? Because she's a longtime child author. No, I mean, he was he like goes in every day and he just sits there and talks. Them. Oh, OK. And he was supposed to be the one reading Roald Dahl because it's British Michael Palin. Ah, um, so they had to reshoot that and it was, it was Meg Ryan. Okay. But like, I just wonder what this movie would be like if they kept like, cause he was supposed to be in 50% of this movie, Michael Palin. Like, it's just so weird that they cut an entire character out and you never noticed a difference. Uh, well, maybe that's the reason they cut it out in the first place because was- they figured, well, this character doesn't serve any purpose. There was also a bigger storyline in the original script about the rooftop killer. Ah. That's yes, a the Haley's rooftop killer. The rooftop killer. So, yeah, in the bookstore scene, it is established that Tom Hanks goes in with two kids who you think are like his niece children. And, niece and nephew. Yeah, niece and nephew children, what have you. And it turns out that the little boy is his brother, and the little girl is his aunt. Family Christmas must be a riot. We saw Family Thanksgiving. Yeah. Where yeah. she sings tomorrow. <sighs> but, okay, so her dad... My hatred for that musical runs so deep. Tom Hanks's grandfather is played by legendary actor John Randolph, and his dad is played by legendary actor Dabney Coleman. And I guess both his dad and his grandfather are really into younger women. Yeah, it's weird. Also, his his to-be wife, Jillian, she's the devil. You may insert the song Gold Digger anywhere in this podcast. She take my money when I'm in need. Yes, it's a trifling friend indeed. Oh, she's a gold digger. Way over town. That digs on me. But yeah, um, Jillian is terrifying. There's something about her that's just so creepy. The the evil, wicked stepmother? Yes. Yeah. Give me a kiss. I'm going to be your evil stepmother. And then yeah. she like tries to French Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. And she like, you know, tries to... You know, put his hand or her her hand on his knee at like the family dinner, and yeah, it's just it's weird. It's very very weird. And then there's Nanny Maureen. Never marry a man who lies. I just love Tom Hanks's reaction. That that's wise yeah, words. Wise words. <laughs> uh, this family is so messed up. Yeah, and I I want to see a movie just about like him growing up with this family to begin with. Yeah, because all of the stuff we learn about it, like his his father left Tom Hanks's mother for a ballerina who was his nanny and then a nice skater who was also his nanny. <laughs> and then his wife leaves him for the nanny. So it's kind of like the Bill and Ted effect. Misty. Oh, yeah. Oh, Miss, Step Missy. Of, yeah, no, Miss- 
Yeah, instead of one woman. Yeah. It's just the nanny. Yes, that's Fran Drescher. Yeah. <laughs> so, the other weird thing, were you wondering why Dave Chappelle was in this movie? Not really. I mean, I I thought, like, because you also had uh, Steve Zahn. Oh, Steve Zahn is my in, in here. So, I thought, you know, I mean, we see comedic relief in romantic comedies all the time, particularly played by comedians. But that's not why Chappelle's here. Chappelle's in this movie because he turned down Forrest Gump. Oh, He was no. supposed to play Bubba. Oh, dear. He thought the movie was going to tank. Oh. So he turned it down. And when Tom Hanks, because Tom Hanks always loved him, he's like, do you want to be in this movie? And he's like, I sure do. Yeah. And that's why. Not going to miss that opportunity again. But I do love it in Trainwreck with that they make fun of that trope. And instead of it being like a well-known comedian, his best friend is just LeBron James. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, that's the thing in these rom-coms. Like, they, they do, like, a weird buddy cop movie in rom-coms. It's like, this is my best friend, this person who is, like, 20 years younger than me. <laughs> Bless you. Oh, you can keep that in or not. I won't judge. <laughs> But look, that's what they do in these rom-coms. It's it's always, you know, it's like a buddy cop movie, as I said. I, I just find it funny that Dave Chappelle is his best friend, and her best friend is Gene Stapleton. Birdie? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, Edith Bunker. Well, she's got like three yeah, she has friends. Yeah, she has Steve Zahn. Yep. She has Heather Burns, who I love. Mm -hmm. She was, do you know who she is? Miss Congeniality? Yeah. What's your perfect date? I would say April 30th because. April 24th. April 24th. Because it's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. <laughs> Heather Burns at this time, like. Apparently, Nora Ephron loved working with her so much that she also put her in um, Bewitched. Mm. And I think she has a role in Julie and Julia. Like, Heather Burns was like her good luck charm. And this was one of her first movies. <laughs> I just love how she shows up in every line. She's like, that's not fair. Oh, I got to go to... I'll have to move and quit my job and move to Brooklyn. <laughs> All I have to say to that is wait a few years. <laughs> Get grandfathered in while you can. Yes. <laughs> well, Steve Zahn is like, I have an apartment, six, six rooms for $300 a month, rent control. It's like, screw you, man. <laughs> the crazy thing about this like rom-com is I have seen this on so many lists of toxic relationships because of like him finding out and like torturing yeah. her. Yeah. So... Going back to that scene in the bookstore, they have a very cute, like... A, it's a meet-cute. A meet-cute. It, it is, by definition, a meet-cute. And, um, like, he introduces himself. Not really. He just says, my name is Joe. Just call me Joe. Yeah, just call me Joe. And, like, she gets to know his family a little bit, as fucked up as it is. <laughs> yeah, and she's, like... She gets like to know her, the background of her bookstore... Which is why he, like, you know, he, like, you can see it on his face. He's like, oh, I'm going to fuck this woman so hard. I mean, not. Financially. Not, yeah, financially. Financially. <laughs> I mean, later. Who knows? 
<laughs> I love how you're like financially. <laughs> but like, like, like that moment where she's like pointing to the picture of her dead mom, and she's like, "Oh, this is you know the." She last left thing it to I me. Have. Yeah, she left I'll it leave to it me. to my daughter. Yeah. And the look on his face is like, "How old's your daughter?" <laughs> uh. <laughs> and she goes, "I don't have a daughter." And he's like, "Oh, thank God." Oh no. <laughs> I also love how he he's very enchanted by her, but yeah. he, he's also literally like, he uses that word enchanted. Yes, enchanting. Your mother was enchanting. Enchanting, absolutely enchanting. Yes, he's a little Gideon. Enchanting, utterly enchanting. I would love for Tom Hanks to be dressed as little Gideon this entire movie, <laughs> with that giant white wig. <laughs> but like. He, this entire movie, he's like, yeah, it's not personal, it's business. And that's why I like when she says, everyone always says that. People yeah. say that. Fuck you, it's personal to me. It was personal to me. It's and just your way of emotionally distancing yourself from a situation. Yeah. And I, I love how, <laughs> when we're watching this, you and I literally had a Kathleen and Joe moment, and... uh he goes, go to the mattresses. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, it's from The Godfather. She goes, what the fuck does that mean? It's from The Godfather. Oh, yeah. Because in real life, that's based on his love of The Godfather is based on Tom Hanks' real love of The Godfather. Like him and Rob Reiner and Alec Baldwin would host Godfather nights where they would watch all the Godfather movies in one day like people do with Lord of the Rings. So also the way he feels about typewriters, he also feels about the Godfather. Well, he doesn't have trivia contests about typewriters. He has trivia contests. That you know of. Well, I've never been invited. Well, we'll have to get you on the list. Yes. I also love how he signs his name as T. Hanks, so it looks like thanks. I'm just realizing that now. <laughs> His initials are literally thanks. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Isn't that just enchanting? Absolutely enchanting. Enchanting. Utterly enchanting. But, like, the, the crazy thing in this movie is how, like, unnormal all these people are. They, like... Unnormally, you mean abnormal? <laughs> no, they are, like the undead in normal people's bodies like they're just what does that mean they're literally like there are there's a moment in the movie when they're filming in zabars where they're just like kind of drifting through the movie because they don't want to run into each other they're like just drifting through this film i don't know quite what you mean by that but i'm just gonna nod you just had a david uh david rose moment i i don't know what that means (laughs) Like I'm trying very hard not to connect with people right now. <laughs> so the scene in Zabar's was actually very controversial because Zabar's is such a New York establishment that they would never let anyone film. And Nora Ephron's like, Please. And Tom Hanks talked to them like the way he talks to the uh, cashier in the movie. And he's like, come on, come on, you could do it. Pretty much. Let us film in there. Come <laughs> well, on. Like Nora Ephron went with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and they're like, okay. So... They had one day to film it. They got to film from like when the store closed at 8 p.m. until it had to open back up at 6 a.m. So they they shot all through the night. And I guess Tom Hanks would get on the loudspeaker and be like, there's a price check on pastrami. 
aisle five, someone lost a minute, and he was like just trying to keep morale up. I like, wonder how many times an extra in a movie has like stolen things in a scene. Think about that. Like you're in a scene, you're in a grocery store. How many times do you think like somebody like an extra has like stolen like some Tic Tacs or like a candy bar or like pastrami? Who knows? If I was in Zabar's, I would probably holla, maybe a schmear. Because <laughs> they have. They, they, holla well, and a schmear? They have homemade cream cheese. There. You'd That's just come like, out looking like you're pregnant. <laughs> I, When's I'm it due? <laughs> the end of this movie. But, but like. Actually, to be more specific, at the end of the scene, a I'll, pickle jar just like comes out from under your shirt and you're like, oh no, my water broke. I would be like like Marshall on uh, How I Met Your Mother when he accidentally brings in Skittles into a museum and they all spill out and he's just standing there as they're spilling out. That would be me <laughs> in Zabar's. <laughs> Sir, did you take the the chocolate-covered espresso beans? No. <laughs> I have to leave now. Oh, what are you going to name it? Half sour. <laughs> also... If you hadn't guessed, because of Zabar's, we got stores like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. Are you shocked? <laughs> Wait, so that, Zabar's is the godfather of all those stores? Pretty much. That model of doing uh, like like, like farm fresh, yeah, organic. Local. Yeah. Source local foods. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking, right? <laughs> no. It had to come from somewhere. So I held off long enough for this. You wanted to talk about the scene and how you thought that he was kind of patronizing. I mean, I think he's like, he's kind of got a patronizing swagger to him throughout most of the movie, but that's his character. And to be fair, that's kind of the character in Shop Around the Corner. Yeah, but I, that, that's because of the time period in Shop Around the Corner. That was... Oh, you mean back before women could vote? <laughs> No. <laughs> so I was thinking about it. Like, if they were to make this movie today, there's only one actor, just like with Tom Hanks and just like with Jimmy Stewart, who could play this role and make it charming. Uh... Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I suppose He's so. He's the only one. Yeah, because, and you know, you got movies like The Proposal where he plays a very similar character. I was also thinking of Devonly, maybe. Like, yeah. Like, he's, like very sarcastic very snarky but he's also very down to earth and very charming he's yeah. the only him hanks and i mean i still would love for them to remake this movie with colin hanks but <laughs> oh yeah but colin hanks is playing the kathleen kelly role and they get like you know <laughs> but yeah run ryan reynolds is the only person who can play this role can it be Colin Hanks, especially with that um, line where he's like, oh, that's me and my dad. We used to twirl. <laughs> and it's Tom Hanks. It's a photo of Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. That needs to be in the movie. Um, but, like, Hanks is so... You can tell his character, he doesn't want to be mean to her. Because from the very beginning, he's very smitten. He is a smitten kitten. Like, he's, yeah. he's very taken by her. What That's is he? A smitten kitten. <laughs> um. Also, the cafe that they filmed in for the scene where he discovers her, they had to go all over the Upper West Side to find a cafe with a staircase. So he wouldn't oh, be able to see yeah. her. yeah. That makes sense. And 
The craziest thing about that scene is it's pretty much verbatim the dialogue from Shop Around the Corner. Yeah, yeah, because that was the only scene I have really watched from Shop Around the Corner. Yeah, that and the ending you saw. Yeah, but yeah, I would say it's pretty pretty accurate. Yeah, pretty spot on. It really is down to the flower in the book. Yeah, and also the dialogue because uh, Chappelle says the exact same stuff the exact same way that the other guy did, including... You know what? She look... I mean, she almost has the same coloring as that Kathleen Kelly person. Kathleen Kelly of the little bookstore. Well, why not? You said you thought she was attractive. Absolutely, yes. Why not? Who cares about Kathleen Kelly? Well, if you don't like Kathleen Kelly... I can tell you right now, you ain't gonna like this girl. Why not? Because it is Kathleen Kelly. Mm. I should say, she looks, she has a little of the coloring of, of Clara. Clara? What, Miss Novak of the shop? You? No, Karlik, you must admit, uh, Clara's a very good-looking girl, and personally, I always found her a very likable girl. Yeah, well, this is a fine time to talk about Miss Novak. Well, if you don't like Miss Novak, I can tell you right now you won't like that girl. Why? Because it is Miss Novak. But regardless, it plays out exactly like that scene where he comes in, he, like, pretends he doesn't know that it's supposed to be him meeting her there. I really wish it was that fat opera singer guy. <laughs> the guy with the cape and the hat. Oh, God, yeah. Um, That would have been interesting. Um, <laughs> He's probably coming onto my subway tranche and saying, <laughs> I saw so many weird things on the New York subway system. I saw a magician. I saw a mariachi band. I saw an opera singer. I mean, are those really weird things or are those just staples of New York? They start doing their acts in front of everyone. Because you know, it's a character. <laughs> yeah. We get it. And you can't be a character without having your own inside jokes. Back to the Cafe Nero scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, he goes in there, but he goes in there not as her date, as, like, you know, Joe Fox, and he's interrupting her date. Yeah, I also love how she does not lift the book to her face. She takes the bookmark and puts it to her face, not thinking, maybe I should put the book up. Well, to be fair, you'd be a little frazzled if you were expecting, like, the love of your life, and then it's your mortal enemy. (laughs) Yeah. I love when we're watching it. I'm like, oh, she's really. I probably pain. tried to hide behind my coffee cup and then spill coffee all over me. <laughs> I love how we're watching it. I'm like, she's got Pride and Prejudice. And you're like, how, how do you know that? And he goes, oh, Pride and Prejudice. I bet you read that every... And you just look at me and she's like, oh, yeah. You've seen this like a million times. Well, also, because I remembered that she tries to get him to read it earlier yes. right. when they're exchanging emails. Yeah, their emails that they exchange are so weird. He writes an entire one about his dog, about Brinkley, N- not just well. Well, if you can't talk about work and you have to kind of like dance around your identities, like that's what you're going to talk about. I mean, I guess, but okay, this is going to show how stupid I am. I thought that you're not his, stupid. <laughs> I thought his handle because I didn't realize as a little kid that his address, his email address, was above the subject line. Okay. So I was like 10 or 11, and I thought his handle was Brinkley. I thought his... I mean, hey, you know, a lot of people 
make handles after their pets. Yeah. So it's reasonable. So like the whole movie, I'm like, wait, stupid. his handle is an NY152. It's Brinkley. <laughs> but also, that dog is so cute. Yes. That was a <laughs> good is popper. Is a dog in a romantic comedy, let alone any movie, not cute? No, that's true. Especially with Tom Hanks. Like, yeah. you know, Turner and Hooch. Yeah. I I still always think of his Jimmy uh, Kimmel thing where he, you find out he's on Toddlers and Tiaras and he goes, oh, don't be a Hooch. Hooch was a bad dog. No, he wasn't. He was a sweet pup. <laughs> I saw that movie way too early as a kid. Yeah, I didn't see that till middle school. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. I mean, I loved that movie. But, my God, breaks me every time. So, when I was at The Daily Show and Tom Hanks was a guest, there were people with um, posters waiting outside for him to sign. And people had, like, Forrest Gump and You've Got Mail. Someone had a Turner and Hooch one. (laughs) Me! No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And he signed it over the dog's face and put a paw mark over his face. Aww. That's cute. I think that's adorable. I'm pretty sure that uh, movie started uh, the website does the dog die. I think so. I think so. Too many children like me were traumatized. But we got to talk about Steve Zahn. And and I mean, we always have to talk about Steve Zahn. But in this movie, like he's so subtle, but he steals all of his scenes. And well, he is a professional scene stealer. Yes. That should be his in his IMDb. I also love with him uh, and Gene Stapleton, like, he's like, so do I get sausage for the meat sauce or meat, chopped meat for the meat sauce? And she's like, spare us. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the the interactions with with how much they all love each other and how heartbreaking it is for them to lose the store. And then you'll find out that he basically becomes the manager of the children's department at... at uh, Does he? Yeah. I must have missed that. Yeah. Oh. Because he's... George is the one who tells Tom Hanks that she's sick when he goes and visits her. Oh, honestly, I, I must have... You know, had a bathroom break at that point. Yeah, because he, he says he's revolutionizing the the children's book department to even working work in the children's book department under him. You need to have a PhD. Oh, so he so he clearly felt so bad about putting all of these people out of business that he gave them jobs. I mean, that's nice, I guess. <laughs> But it would have been nice in the first place if they didn't get to lose the jobs they loved. Well, we were talking about that. But it's not personal. It's just business. But we were talking about that because it, it today it would be the other way around. It would be the big chain store going out of business. Yeah. In the small, like, local business. That's yeah. why you need to shop local, folks. Yes. And speaking of shopping local. <laughs> in Massachusetts, if you're ever here post-COVID... There is a wonderful place in Lowell, Massachusetts called Mill Number no. 5, yes. filled with wonderful shops. There's a record shop. There is a vintage store called Victory Garden. Yep. There is one of my favorites. Yep. There is one of my favorites, the Luna Theater, which is basically an archive house. And um, there's a comic book store. Like, if you ever, it's great. Like, you go up an elevator, 
very mysterious and then you end up in it's like, like the grand budapest hotel elevator it's yeah. literally the the elevator from the grand budapest it's hotel. so cool and then you go in in like down this hallway and it's basically like diagon alley yeah you know <laughs> diagon alley yeah but people if this movie has taught us anything you need to shop local yep yep Yes, we have to save all of the Meg Ryans and all of the Heather Burns. Yeah, (laughs) all the shops around the corner. And we need to keep Steve Zahn working. Um, Definitely check out like Coffee and Cotton. Um, Victory Garden. Yeah, Victory Garden is one of my favorites. Um, I absolutely love shopping there. Most of my clothes are vintage clothes. Yes. And um, they just have a wonderful selection it's a great place to go. I highly recommend. Victory Garden always knows how to make you look good. Yes, they do. They they really do. <laughs> <laughs> I just found another pretty dress. <laughs> but yeah, mill number five. Go check it out. Lowell, Massachusetts. I also you won't f- regret it. I found I found a blazer that I've been waiting my entire life to have a, a tweed blazer from them. Oh, nice. From Victory Garden. Oh, yes. You were there. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little preoccupied. You, you know we live together, right? <laughs> but yeah, if you're on Twitter, Instagram, they'll be tagged in this. Check them out. Mill number five will tag all of the wonderful places. Yep. Support them. And yep. also... Do so safely. Wear a mask. You know. Yes. All that. Yeah. You can also support them online, too, on their websites. Yeah. So now coming back from that ad break... <laughs> it's not quite an ad <laughs> yeah I know. but like the the crazy thing is and this makes me sound like such a snob when we're watching it and she goes in her email to him that um did i tell you i had a shop it was a wonderful shop and it's going to be turned into something like a baby gap and i turned to you i'm like it doesn't have the square footage to be a baby gap <laughs> I worked at Gap and Gap Kids for the better part of half a decade. And the, yeah. with corporate, it has to have a certain square footage. If anything, it will just become a bakery, an adorable bakery. Yeah. A niche bakery for like pets and stuff. Yeah, until it becomes something else. Oh, it could be called the Wags Around the Corner. You're romanticizing this way too much. I just start opening up pop-up, like, you've got male-themed pop-up shops. <laughs> well, you've only got two in this movie, so you don't have much to work with. God damn it. And now I'm thinking, I'm like, can I? Do I? Oh, the one thing I really want to talk about is uh, basically Frank's arc, where he starts writing articles for um the shop around the corner and ends up on tv and all that stuff mm-hmm. greg Kinnear, is it a conflict of interest for him to write about his girlfriend's shop that's going out no i don't think so but he's getting paid for it if he is a private columnist he gets to choose his own subjects and regardless of whether or not it's his girlfriend it's still it's very classic to like to talk about like a small business facing the Goliath that is like a franchise, a well-established franchise company. But is it agony for him to do it all on a typewriter? He, cause he refuses to do it on a computer. 
I just think that was Tom Hanks throwing in his two cents. <laughs> hey, he should have a typewriter. No. <laughs> he was a hipster before Brooklyn became, but you know. But Tom Hanks likes non-electric typewriters. That I Frank don't... has two electric typewriters. I'm pretty sure that wasn't an electric typewriter, it was. but what have you. It was because my mom had one of those. She had that exact model. Are we really going back and forth about typewriters Haley, right now? this is an intervention. You need to start using a typewriter. That's why I bought you these six that have been on this table this entire time that you have been ignoring. I mean, I just thought this was like a new decor obsession for you. Which one do you like? They're going to think I'm I'm being serious right now, <laughs> that I literally bought six typewriters. <laughs> but, but yeah, I agree with you. Tom Hanks definitely put in that typewriter thing. Uh, yeah. So my my question to you, you asked me about whether or not it's cheating for the email. Which you never fully answered. I think it is because an emotional affair is still an affair. Yeah. I Well, it's just like. Especially in 98. As a, if I was a significant other, like assuming their relationship's are not like well established. They're like very casual. Both parties are well aware that it's casual. Um which it clearly seems to be based on how they break up. Okay. Well, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot of gray in this, you know, in these relationships. I think it is because they're both under the assumption that they love each other, that the other one loves each other. Okay. And that's the thing that is a cue for that is when she needs help and when they're instant messaging each other, he goes, is it about love? And he, he goes, please say no, please say no. She goes, is it well, about she love? Doesn't, How she, cute is that? Like when, Well, she, like she's, there's definitely a flirtatious, you know, side to this. Yeah. But. So that leads me to believe that they're trying to fill a void that exists in their current relationships. In which case, I think you can kind of consider it an emotional affair. Because you can see that with with how Greg Kinnear interacts with her and how Parker Posey interacts with Tom Hanks. Like, there's no depth. There's no, it's a very, we're the same type of person. But to be fair, we never see any of the background of these relationships. We we just dive right in and they're already yeah, in these relationships. The shorthand that with. they try to do is the Thanksgiving when, you know, or when they go to that, that party where she finds out that he's Joe Fox. Yeah. Like the mini walk and talks on the way to the party is supposed to be our little shorthand glimpse into yeah. their relationship. I do like that in these movies, like, as juvenile as, like, they can be, these are very mature adults. Like, I like when, um, what, what's her name? Kathleen, uh, Meg Ryan, Meg yeah. Ryan's character, Kathleen. She, like, every time she snaps at Joe, she realizes, like, oh, you know, I am mad at you, but there's no cause here to be, like, you know. Yeah. nasty except in the scene when she finds like she out walks he, it back yeah but when she finds out he's joe fox for the first time i always forget and it makes me laugh every time it's like rediscovering it every time she she's carving the turkey uh-huh. for her friend 
and she points it at him like when she's angry, like she's going to stab yeah. him. And I always forget that Greg Kinnear is like, I'll be taking that. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that I feel like they gave Greg Kinnear more screen time than they gave Parker Posey. Yeah. Because of his award status at the time. I also think, sorry, that has nothing, this has nothing to do with it. That. With Parker Posey. Yeah. <laughs> I think, believe it or not, the most telling scene in that scene. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. The most telling scene in that scene. The most telling scene in that scene. But um, the most telling moment in that scene is the the garnish The caviar garnish. Yes. When- it tells you a lot about those two people. Just like Joe Fox is very much an opportunist. Yes. Like he sees the garnish. He doesn't treat it like a garnish. He's just like, I'm going to take this because it's here. Right. And I can. Where she's the type of person who would take a wedge from that cheese and get maybe a little bit of the caviar. Yeah. He's very much like, I like to go for the gold. I know what I want and how to get it. And she's like, you know, I'm I'm happy with what I have. And that's why she literally puts it back onto the the plate she's scooping the caviar off yeah. his plate she's back. considerate of others and others needs you know and is willing to sacrifice for that yeah also it really won't Even matter if, because yeah. that caviar is going to taste terrible because they didn't have a caviar spoon to serve it with well <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't know there were special caviar spoons for the Don't caviar. Don't you know that I'm bougie? Haley, I want you to introduce you to my aunt who is about four years old and my brother who is also four years old. <laughs> oh wait, no. His aunt is eight, right? I I guess that's that's what it takes to be bougie having <laughs> relatives who are far younger than you. I just think it's so weird. Like, cause my, like I turned to you during the movie I'm like, when she is like 18, her dad's gonna be dead. Yeah. But they're rich, so, you know. Like. That's what trust funds are for, Scott. <laughs> well, I love that there, there's a line in this movie when he, when the dad breaks up, uh, Tom Hanks' dad breaks up. With, Why do they both end up on the boat? They, there's two different boats. Why do they both end up on a boat? They can't get another apartment? They're rich. Why do they end up with the boat? I think they're just there for a few days and while well, they look for a new apartment. Okay, I guess. I like. I understand. Oh, that's their between apartment. Yeah, that's like their little setup they have for every time he gets a divorce, every time he breaks up with a woman. Yeah. Ah. Because, I mean, what it's are the they going to call boat? What are they going to do? End up like going to the Waldorf Astoria and staying at the hotel? Oh wait, that's what a normal person would do. Yeah. So. I, that scene on the boat. You couldn't stay in a boat. I get so. You I, would wake up and you would just hurl over the side. I hate boats. Yeah, I know. I hate I boats. Know. I hate helicopters. Um, well, helicopters, I totally understand. They're, I mean, I've told you they're basically sky dancers, but like, you know, filled with death. And Yes. Well, I hate boats because when I was little, um, we went to Martha's Vineyard and we were on a friend's boat. And they're like, boats are so safe. And the boat died in the water. And then it started taking on water. I'm like, oh, my God, this is how I'm going to die. And I was like nine years old, eight years old. You just hear the violin 
theme from Jaws just start to play somewhere off in the distance? It was 95. Yeah, I was I, I was nine years old. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> and then like to be fair, I had a similar moment when I was on a ferry going to uh, Nantucket. And uh, normally when you go on a ferry, there's a limit. To the amount of people mm-hmm. that are supposed to be on a ferry, they crowded us in like sardines. And it was like there were times where like water. Pre, pre-COVID, like, everyone. Yeah. Like they got like the water was like coming up. Like it was very it was a very choppy day. And I just kept telling my mom, like, I want to go outside. And she's like, we can't go outside. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I can't be in here. I've seen clips from Titanic, okay? I know how this goes. I need to be on the outside so I can jump off first. They literally at one point did have have put on life preservers. They do that every time on the ferry. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh, that's just common practice? Yeah. Oh, see, that didn't help my fear. But yes, except at the end of the movie, she ends up with a sapphire necklace, and all I end up is a mouthful of seawater. <laughs> but as the boat starts taking on water, that's what drowning sounds like, right? So, so as the boat started taking on water, I'm like, oh god, oh god, and my mom goes to comfort me. I'm like, don't touch me. <laughs> You brought us onto this death trap. Uh, actually, I did say something like that. And all of a sudden, the boat started. And You can hug me when we're in hell. <laughs> so then so then the boat started. And then uh, I look at her. I'm like, you can hug me when we get on dry land. <laughs> and then I got grounded. <laughs> Ever get grounded on vacation? After I had a near-death experience? No. No, that's not usually when I got grounded. <laughs> so, unless you mean grounded, like you arrived on land, like you were grounded, as in you were brought back to the beach. <laughs> they, that was a joke. Yeah, that was a joke. Yep, 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 yep. Anyways, you've got mail. Yep. <laughs> so. I love when he he's talking to his dad. He's like, the dad's like, well, are there any, you know, women that you are interested in that, you know, light that fire? That I can steal from you? Well, <laughs> well he's going to go after Parker Posey is what uh, he's getting at. Um, ew! But, uh, ew! But is he, that really what the hint was? Well, I missed that part. He, he goes, who did you break up with? And he goes, Jillian and he's like and he's like writing on his whiteboard Jillian well kind of he he's like do I know her and he's like yeah you've met her a few times would I like her oh that's so gross that's just oh yeah that's so gross yeah that's that's really creepy especially since your son dated her we call that the double dip (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) ew but, but then the dad is like... He's putting his bookmark in her page, if you know what I mean. Oh, God, Jesus. But but then the dad's like... I thought like, that would get a bigger laugh out of you, honestly. No, because like... One of these days, I will make you pee your pants on this podcast. You're going to give me a ton of water and not let me use the bathroom and keep us from, from recording. Mm-hmm. But like... 
the dad is like, well, is there a woman that lights that fire in you? And he realizes it's Kathleen. And when they're doing the the she's sick scene, he kind of forces himself in her house and he won't leave. Yes, nothing brings on the sexual tension quite like competing business practices. No, she's not already out like, of business. Nothing like crushing the dreams. Because the first thing he's... Of your would-be lover. The first thing she says to him is, you put me out of business. And he goes, yes, I did. What? <laughs> <laughs> and... and and the scene when Birdie like realizes that they're gonna be out of business is when she walks by Fox Books yep. and she sees Miranda, the the author, and and she's like, "You bitch!" And then she takes out a match and a Molotov cocktail. I I also love the protesting. And of- she kills the bookstore just like she killed her third husband. <laughs> I, I love with Gene Stapleton's character, like they had to address the fact that she played Edith Bunker on All in the Family um, and have her at a piano at one point. Yeah, that reference went whew, right over my head. Well, the TV show All in the Family starts with her playing a piano. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Oh, that. Signs that made the hit parade. That was her. She was Edith, she was Edith Bunker. <laughs> Yeah, she was Edith yeah, Bunker. That. So I apologize to everyone's eardrums. <laughs> Haley can sing, but she's not going to for you. No. So with with Jean Stapleton, like we were talking about this, her backstory. I think secretly after her, you know, brief love affair with the man who ran Spain. Yeah, who apparently was a fascist dictator. Yeah. Ismo Franco. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Colonel Isimo Franco. Um, so falling in love with someone who you probably shouldn't be falling in love with is the theme of here. this movie. <laughs> but but uh, what I was thinking of is you and I were talking about this that I, I just think, realized something. What? Birdie is rich. Oh, yeah, she bought Intel at six. But she couldn't give some money to sustain the bookstore that she loves so dearly? I think she knows that Kathleen would not go for that. Also, I don't know. (laughs) I also love Kathleen's face. I don't know about that. Well, also, she knows that it wouldn't really help the, the bookstore. That is true. Like, it would probably float them for a little bit. But if you got no customers coming in, it really doesn't Ask matter. Ask me for money. I'm very wealthy. I bought Intel at six. <laughs> but so what you and I were talking about is the fact that I think that maybe Cecilia, Kathleen's mom and her after a while were lovers. Yeah, that is a theory that we did develop after a point. Because, like, Birdie is like her mother. Yeah. After her mom died, Birdie helped raise her. I would love that if there was, like, an actual, oh, like... like, fried green tomatoes? Yeah. Oh. Wait, that makes her Mary, Mary Stewart Masterson. It's just very sweet. It's a very sweet backstory that I wish was in here. Yeah. But this was 1998. Um. Oh, also, the reason why Dennis Quaid wasn't in this movie mm. when Tom Hanks signed on. He was making The Parent Trap ah. with Nancy Myers. Ah. 
So, um, yeah, with this film, it's just so much fun and so happy. But then when it gets into them being friends, that's where it gets a little like weird because he's kind of torturing her. So he didn't answer the question. Yes, he did. He did he not. He did too. He did. Ex- he nailed me. He knew exactly what I was after, which is just, by the way, exactly like him. He did not answer the question, did he? No. Maybe he's fat. He's fat. He's a fatty. I don't care about that. You don't care that he's so fat, he's one of these guys that has to be removed from his house by a crane. You don't care. Yeah, because, well, it's it's just weird and manipulative because he, he has information that she doesn't have and he's using it to his advantage to the fullest extent. And like, and he's orchestrating the relationship from he he's like attacking on two different fronts, in person, and through email. Yeah, and and he's and he's playing one off the other, and to me that's really unfair and really fucked up. Because like he starts it when he barges into her house when she's sick. Um, yeah, and and then. That scene actually got you, remember? Because he goes, I see I bring out the worst in you. Yeah. Like, before you say something, I know you'll regret for, you know, the years rest of your life. That's, yeah, that's who you are. Like, like, and it's very sweet, but it's also heartbreaking, too. Yeah, it's, it's also a little patronizing. It is, too, because, yeah. Yeah. He's mansplaining. Yeah. But, but when he, like, bumps into her. At the coffee shop and then... Well, I mean, let's let's be honest. They established their chemistry in the very beginning before she knew he was Joe Fox when he was just Joe. And so they kind of pick up where they left off after she comes to terms and forgives him. Well, she I wouldn't say him. forgive him. Because he but has But, like, that she whole... comes to terms with the fact that it just wasn't meant to be. Right. It was what it was, you know... And it is what it is. Yeah. So, like, in all of those scenes, it shows that they have great chemistry. Um, but then it gets really dark when he when she goes to But meet- he's spinning her around. Okay. Like a horse on a right. merry-go-round. And this is where it gets dark because when the day she's supposed to meet her mystery date. Yeah. Um, she's supposed to meet Tom Hanks. And she's already hanging out with Tom Hanks. He does that speech where he basically corners her and he's like, oh, I, you know, I have feelings for you. If it wasn't, if I wasn't Joe Fox and you weren't Kathleen Kelly. It was, it was, how can you forgive this guy for standing you up? But you can't forgive me for this one little thing. Two different things. One involves a destroyed livelihood and the other involves a wasted evening. But, but they (laughs) they play it off as, as a joke, like, like this one little thing putting you out of business <laughs> like yeah i wouldn't have been able to wait 24 hours before calling you up and saying hey how about oh how about some coffee or you know drinks or dinner or a movie for as long as we both shall live joe and you and i would never have been at war and the only thing we'd fight about would be which video to run on a Saturday night. Putting me out of business. That's but, that's a little thing. But uh, 
And he goes, that's well, why in reality, this would never, this would never because work. It's like as soon as they get together and like they get in one fight, he's, she'll go, you put me out of business and he'll be like, yeah, this is a, a, a secret resentment that will, that it starts out as a kernel and will blossom. Yeah. Into a bush filled with hatred and <laughs> Be- spite. Because like now she has like a bunch of book editors interested in her like young adult novels. Including his ex. No. His ex was gonna offer her a job. Okay. There are Oh, people interested in her actually writing a book. Right. Okay, she wants yeah. to write like a chain of young adult book novels about a vampire and a girl and a werewolf. That was her, wasn't it? <laughs> No, I picture her. I think she would be more of a like Percy Jackson. Yeah, so, something like that. <sighs> you you tired? <laughs> a little. Really sleepy. <laughs> well, we're almost at the end. So I I love, and also it breaks my heart when she when he goes Brinkley and he she sees that it's him in Riverside Park. Well, because she knows the dog Brinkley. Right. And and she just goes. Don't cry. Shop girl. Don't cry. And the dreams that you I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so bad. But at the same time, it's really sad. <laughs> it's really sad. Be- I really hate you, Harry. <laughs> because- oh, wrong movie? Yeah, <laughs> same ending. Same ending. It should have ended with them looking at the camera and been like, we haven't been doing this at all this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's kind of sad. And he's like, don't you cry shop girl. When in reality, it would be you patronizing, manipulative motherfucker. Like, You've known this entire time. Yeah. Like she turns into Brian Post and she's like, you've known. Just saying. Yeah. No, I know. I, I'm not very familiar with Brian Post and saying it, it has just a big like lumbering voice oh, okay he kind of sounds like a muppet <laughs> ah so um how many bagels um i mean as as fucked up as it as it is at some points i do really like this movie it's such a good movie it, it's not i don't have the attachment to it that you do where it's not like a chicken soup movie for me like i don't like it's not a movie that I return to for comfort or like you know it's nice I'll watch it but I don't (laughs) need to like so I would say I'm gonna give it um a nine yeah I'm giving it a nine too it's not it's not a great film like no but it's like New York is a character in the movie shut up (laughs) no it's just I love you so much but shut up (laughs) It, it's at times it's sweet at times it's very dark when you think about it mm. but like there there are things that are wrong with it the fact that tom hanks is our hero and our antagonist yeah the fact that and like i i looked this up and this is actually a term that they they use uh-huh. for meg ryan so many critics in in reviewing this movie, called uh-huh. her a flippity gibbet. <laughs> is that the the, the beta version of uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl? Yeah, like this this like 
quirky, beautiful girl who, you know, is very... At a crossroads in life. No, and... she talks really fast and she gets flustered. But when she lo- gets flustered, she looks so cute. Like... Yeah. Yeah, and she she was like the prototype for that. But the other problems with this movie is like, we don't get enough of the supporting characters. They're just there to be the supporting characters. I... That's why I like films like What If, where our supporting characters, which What If we'll be talking about next week. Jealous. <laughs> I uh, am jealous. But but in a film like that, we get... Like, I don't know why I'm so loud. <laughs> apparently, John Lovitz killed you and is hiding in your body. I think I'm just trying to keep myself awake, <laughs> like reminding myself like, hey, I'm tired. Oh, wake up. <laughs> but... Yeah, so... Oh, my God, it's only 8 o'clock. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. This is going to be a long night for you. I'm old. <laughs> but, yeah, like, the a film like that, the, the supporting characters, the best friends, are characters. They're rounded out. They have personalities. Where, in this film, the reason why I'm taking bagels off is because they're just there to support the lead and not really yeah. add much to the story. yeah. And, um also i'm taking off two bagels no three so i took off two for the other two things taking off three because of the father and the grandfather and their kids (laughs) (laughs) just the whole the whole fox family the whole fox family gets three bagels off because that's just pandora's box that we did not need to open sweetie thank you for doing this you're welcome Yes. So, as I mentioned before, next week we will be doing What If to end off What Is Love? Baby, don't hurt me. No, baby, don't hurt me. It's March. Don't hurt me. No more. So, yeah, we will be um, watching What If. That is available for free. Are you watching What If? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. What What's the movie next week? What If. What If what? The 2014 film What If starring Daniel Radcliffe. What if you watch it or what if the movie? It's available on Prime. You can watch it there. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Email us at writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. And once again, thank you, sweetie. You're welcome. Until next time, I'm Scott Curlin. Bye.